，享受工作，乐生活。就算不在办公室，也能从容应对线上会议。HP Dragonfly 透过专业的 HP Presence 设计，内建降噪及会议快速键，搭配清晰的 Ben and Offson 音效，增强音讯及视讯功能。HP Dragonfly 顶级商务笔电，采用 Windows 11专业版。让您在会议中享有最佳的视觉和听觉品质
26 last year, the IFRS Foundation announced that it was establishing a new standard setting body, the International Sustainability Standards Board, or ISSB. I'm Sue Lloyd, the Vice Chair of the new board. So what's the ISSB all about? It's about developing new disclosure requirements that result in the provision of high quality information for investors about the effect of sustainability related risks and opportunities on enterprise value, the value of a company's shares and the value of its debt. We want this information to be made available around the world to give global comparability for investors and their investment decisions. That provides a lot of invest, uh, benefits for investors, but it's also helpful for preparers of the information. By streamlining the reporting globally, it's a more efficient and effective reporting system for preparers of the information. While the International Sustainability Standards Board is focused on meeting investors' information needs, we know that it's not only investors who are interested in sustainability information. Others are also interested in this information, including for public policy purposes. For this reason, we're working with jurisdictions and others to make sure that our standards can form a baseline of information to meet investors' needs, but that additional specific disclosure requirements could be added on to our proposals build, using a building block approach to meet broader information needs. Again, it's all designed to improve the effectiveness and the efficiency of the reporting system. I know that at your conference, you're talking about the interaction between technology and ESG information, and there's lots of important connections. I'm just going to cut, touch on a couple. The first is a digital taxonomy. The ISSB knows that increasingly investors consume information digitally. For this reason, right from the beginning, we're planning to start developing a digital taxonomy to accompany the ISSB's standards, and our staff have recently put out their initial thinking for your comment. In addition to that, when it comes to capturing the information on ESG, it's really important to think about technology solutions. So it's a very fruitful area for future development. Going back to the work of the International Sustainability Standards Board, we're really delighted that our first two proposed standards are out for comment at the moment. A general requirements document, which sets out proposals for the overarching reporting on sustainability, and a specific set of proposed climate disclosure requirements. Those documents are out for comment until the end of July, and I really encourage you to send us your thoughts so that we can ensure that the final standard is of the highest possible quality. I really look forward to working with you going forward with the work of the ISSB. Please do engage in our work, and I wish you a successful conference. President Tsai Ing-wen attended the opening of an expo on Sunday where pharmacists were in the spotlight. The president took the chance to thank the nation's pharmacists and public health workers for all their hard work since the COVID outbreak. The expo was organized around the theme of fostering exchange and trust between the public and pharmacists. Organizers want to encourage members of the public to consult a pharmacist before purchasing medicine and take advantage of the available pharmaceutical resources in their communities. The White House announced last week the formation of a five-nation group called Partners in the Blue Pacific, or PBP. Its aim is to boost economic and diplomatic ties with Pacific Island nations. But observers say the move is to counter Beijing's rising ambition for greater influence in the Indo-Pacific. 
Meanwhile, former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo once again called on the Biden administration to recognize Taiwan as a sovereign nation as its existence is, quote, crucial to America's defense. The White House over the weekend announced the formation of a group of nations called the Partners in the Blue Pacific, or PBP, made up of Australia, Japan, New Zealand, the UK and the US. The informal group will aim to boost diplomatic and economic ties among Pacific Island nations. But the partnership is also seen as a way to counterbalance Beijing as it attempts to expand its influence in the region. Last year, for the first time, the China-Pacific Island Country's Foreign Minister's meeting produced 11 achievements, all of which have been carried out. Just last month, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi visited island nations in the Pacific, actively seeking to boost economic and military links with Pacific Island nations that are hungry for foreign investment. Earlier in March, Beijing signed a defense pact with the Solomon Islands. Since it involved the establishment of military posts in the islands, it raised American and Australian concerns about increased militarization in the region. We need uh, more diplomatic uh, uh, facilities across the Pacific, and I think you will see more cabinet level, more senior officials going to the Pacific. As the two superpowers increase their jostling in the Pacific, scholars think that the PBP is the U.S.'s attempt to keep Chinese ambitions for the region in check by assisting development of Pacific Island nations. The Pacific Island countries just happen to be located at a key strategic position as one goes from the first island chain to the second island chain and then the third island chain. Therefore, if China can break through the Pacific Island countries, it can effectively cut off the strategic connections between U.S. and Australia. So, of course, this is a place that has to be guarded well. Scholars also point out that although the PBP does not involve Taiwan, it has an indirect linkage and that it reflects the U.S.'s determination to expand engagement with Indo-Pacific nations. Meanwhile, former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has once again called on the Biden administration to recognize Taiwan as a sovereign nation, repulse Chinese military incursions on Taiwan, as Taiwan is strategically important for U.S. national security. Taiwan's existence is crucial to America's defense. The capture of Taiwan would grant the following objectives to Beijing. It would severely reduce American influence in the Indo-Pacific. America's status as a superpower would be placed in jeopardy, which would invite armed conflict, affecting our nation directly. Pompeo says the U.S. must expand the quadrilateral security dialogue known as the Quad and that the AUKUS security pact between Australia, the U.K. and the U.S. should be incorporated into the Quad format. In another mention of Taiwan, Pompeo says the U.S. must help build three lighthouses for liberty, referring to Taiwan, Israel and Ukraine. Have you ever wondered where China keeps all its troops? Military buffs were amazed by a new map that shows exactly where China's military bases sit. 
The online map was constructed by a college music major who is an army enthusiast. Wen Yuese of Suchao University used satellite imagery to form the detailed expose of many of China's secret bases. China's third aircraft carrier, the Fujian, was launched earlier this month. Now its position is visible on an online map that reveals the whereabouts of China's military. A forest of icons show the location of 1,200 PLA bases, including the Zhuruhe base. That's where China built a model of Taiwan's presidential office and even a replica of Ilan Suao Bay. While this map is produced to professional standards, its creator is in fact a music student. Wen Yue Se spent a whole year on the project. In 2020, I saw a Chinese military magazine had made a map of the layout of Taiwan's armed forces. I thought, as a Taiwanese military fan, why shouldn't we do all the same thing? It might not be totally accurate, because I did make it all single-handedly, but I think it can provide a useful tool for the general public. Wen is currently in his fourth year at the music department of Suchow University. He majors in composition, but his big hobby is the military. He made the map out of pure passion. One icon on the map, the 666 Battalion at Base 66 of the PLA Rocket Force, was pinpointed with just one vital photo. But the low resolution of satellite images caused Wen a lot of hassle along the way. There's a vast number of army bases and very little public information. That's one difficulty. I relied on the naked eye to spot many of them. Sometimes it is difficult to distinguish between schools, military bases and prisons. I think this is very significant. By deepening the defence skills of the public, it will help to improve our defences in resisting the aggression of authoritarian countries and threats. The map has attracted a lot of excitement online. Although it may not be 100% accurate, it does display many of China's secret military facilities for all to see and hint at the extensive arsenal Beijing has amassed. We now head down to Gaoshu Township in rural Pingdong to visit a noodle shop that's been in business for over 60 years. The noodles here are cooked just like in the old days. Chef Wen Shihe gets up early each morning to chop firewood for the stove, but he wasn't always in the restaurant industry. He gave up an artistic career to save the family business from ruin. A big pot of water boils on the stove, and in go the thick, chewy noodles and vegetables. As they boil, you have to keep feeding the fire with wood. It's blazing red hot to keep the temperature high. At this eatery in Pingdong's Gaoshu Township, there's no fancy sign on the door. The scent of traditional wood fire cooking is all the advertisement needed. This old place has so much character. Plus, they do hakka food, which we love. Simple good food is always a reminder of childhood. Noodle maestro Wen Shihe worked in the creative industries before turning to the kitchen. His great aunt was running the shop when the economy took a downturn. He couldn't bear to see its traditional cuisine bite the dust, so he volunteered to help support the business. 
my great aunt's shop couldn't keep going. Almost all the shops in the village had closed down, and I thought it was such a shame. I'd been doing culture and history surveys for ages, so I rang my great aunt and sold her the idea that I'd rent the shop and give it a try. After taking the shop on, Wynn got an expert to help him recreate the original wood-burning stove with fire bricks. Every morning, he gets up early to chop wood and start boiling the noodles, but he hasn't lost the soul of an artist. The walls of the shop are covered in art, and the tables and chairs have an interesting tale to tell. The driftwood from Typhoon Morakot. These were made by the carpenter who made the building. For more than 60 years, noodles have been served up here in the classic style. The noodle shop has moved to a new location, but its nostalgic fare and antique ambience are unchanged. Local case numbers continue to trend down. The CECC announced 39,586 cases of COVID for Sunday. It's the first time the case number came in under the 40,000 mark in the current wave of outbreak. However, there were still 134 COVID-related deaths. Doctors say the daily death toll should drop below 100 around mid-July. Meanwhile, Pfizer has come up with updated boosters that target the Omicron subvariants. The one that targets the BA1 subvariant is able to increase neutralizing antibodies by 13 and a half fold. Another bivalent vaccine can increase Omicron fighting antibodies by tenfold. Meanwhile, Moderna says it's also redesigning a vaccine that will target both the original Omicron variant and the original coronavirus strain in a single shot. World Health Assembly returned to Geneva, Switzerland this year for its first in-person meeting since 2019. Due to Chinese pressure, Taiwan was not invited to the summit for the sixth year in a row. Even so, Taiwan sent a delegation led by Deputy Health Minister Li Lifen to campaign for inclusion in the global health network. FTV reporters Li Shichen and Tsai Chengyou joined the group in Geneva to witness Taiwan's diplomacy at work. Over the course of this year's WHA, as many as 88 countries showed support for Taiwan's participation. Our Sunday special report. On May 20, 2022, 15 Taiwan representatives boarded a flight to Geneva. <laughs> Although they had not been invited, Deputy Health Chief Li Li Fen and four lawmakers wished to demonstrate Taiwan's resolve to participate in the World Health Organization. The WHO has not invited Taiwan to its annual summit since 2017, but Taiwan hasn't abandoned hope. An electric techno neon gods dance troupe arrived first in Geneva to teach its moves to Taiwanese expats. The three young performers made a stand for Taiwan in their own unique way. 
We want to bring Taiwanese culture out into the world. We, of course, would like Taiwan to be able to participate in very global events so that the world can get to know Taiwan better. Seeing Taiwan encounter lots of inconveniences in the international arena, you start to wonder if there's anything you can do for Taiwan overseas. So on occasions like this or during events, you feel that you should do your bit to help Taiwan. I feel that we should fight for this right. It is our right. I hope that this year we can have representation in the WHO. Outside the Palais des Nations, people from around the world warmed up for a walk-run event. Three years after the outbreak of COVID-19, they were eager to remove their masks for some outdoor activity. Holding high their national flag, Taiwan's World Health Assembly action team became a big highlight of the event. Of course, we have to try if there's a chance. We hope that the Secretary General of the WHO can hear the voice of Taiwan's 23 million people. But the WHO's Secretary General chose not to respond when questioned by a reporter over the Taiwan issue. Oh, we have media from Taiwan. Thank you. Yes. May we ask something about Taiwan? No For six consecutive years now, Taiwan has been unable to enter the Palais des Nations to participate in the WHO conference. Taiwan's valuable epidemic control strategies, such as its name-based rationing system for face masks and its globally renowned healthcare system, have been left unseen internationally. Due to its experience with SARS in 2003, Taiwan was among the first countries to realize the threat of China's COVID-19 outbreak. By way of border controls and domestic epidemic prevention measures, the people of Taiwan were able to maintain a relatively normal life. Taiwan was even able to provide medical supplies to other nations. Donations carrying the slogan, Taiwan can help bolster global support for Taiwan's WHO bid. Over the past three years, since the pandemic began in 2019, countries around the world have been thinking, it's very strange that Taiwan hasn't joined. We've engaged in mask diplomacy and humanitarian diplomacy, and we've done pretty well. Many countries believe that Taiwan has done well against COVID, but when they look closer at our situation, they see that Taiwan is not a member of the WHO. They think that's very strange. Since 1996, former health chief Tu Xingzhe has promoted Taiwan's WHA bid many times overseas. He has keenly sensed a shift in global tides. This year, U.S. President Joe Biden signed a bill to help Taiwan regain observer status at the WHA. Not only that, the European Parliament passed a resolution supporting Taiwan's bid. But a motion on Taiwan's participation, backed by 13 allied nations, 
was blocked from the WHA's agenda by Beijing. The Taiwan region's participation in the WHA must be handled in accordance with the One China Principle, since the DPP authorities obstinately adhere to the separatist stance of Taiwan independence. The political and legal basis for Taiwan to join the WHA has ceased to exist. The WHA has refused to discuss Taiwan-related proposals for many years. We urge relevant countries to stop interfering in China's internal affairs under the pretext of the Taiwan issue, to stop disturbing the proper order of the assembly, and to stop politicizing public health issues. The United Nations General Assembly Resolution 2758 and the World Health Assembly Resolution 25.1 only addresses the issue of China's representation. These resolutions neither provide authorization for China to represent Taiwan in the UN system, nor state that Taiwan is part of China. I believe that Taiwan's 23.5 million people have the right to participate in a global health security system through their effective participation in WHA. It has demonstrated that Taiwan can play and has been playing a critical role in global surveillance and alarm systems against emerging infectious disease threats. That believes stand strong and firm behind Taiwan, and we hope that at the next World Health Assembly, Taiwan could be sitting right there in that room with partaking in those discussions. The U.S. deeply regrets that Taiwan, a critical partner contributing constructively to global health, has been excluded from attending the assembly as an observer. This administration believes in the need for strong global relationships to combat COVID-19 and to prevent and prepare for future health emergencies. One after the other allied nations made appeals for Taiwan, the U.S. representative called Taiwan a critical partner in global health. At this year's WHA, an unprecedented 88 countries showed support for Taiwan. Five of them, France, Germany, Luxembourg, Lithuania, and the Czech Republic, made direct statements of support for the first time. There's a bear in the matrimony. Oh, you can see hey, the bear? Yes, yes. This is the bear from Bern. We never found out. The mayor of Bern, Switzerland, who visited Taiwan in 2015, spoke to us in an interview regarding regret over Taiwan's exclusion from the WHA. I'm, I'm, I'm a friend of, uh, of uh, Taiwan because I'm a friend of democracy. A shift from dictatorship to democracy is, is, is makeable, and uh, Taiwan is the, is the model for that. And I think this is a model for, for, for the whole world. I think everybody uh, has lived the pandemic and everybody knows uh, there is no borders for, 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 for the pandemic. I have difficulty to understand uh, how we can uh, exclude a, a country in WHO or WHA. I think it is very important that Taiwan has the opportunity to participate in multilateral organs. Uh, Taiwan is uh, an important member of the international community. I think this shows how stupid uh, some powers uh, in the world act because uh, the WHO is about health. So, of course, I support when, when Taiwan should become a member or at least an um, observer official. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. 
Legislators also met members of the Swiss Parliament's Taiwan Friendship Group. Over the years, Taiwan has had more and more opportunities to engage on the global stage. Taiwan, yo. Taiwan must make its way into the international community. We've been building up our international reputation and raising our global visibility. Over the past two years, there's been much progress and good work done in these areas. The biggest issue now is that Taiwan should be more courageous. We should make clear to the world that Taiwan is not part of the People's Republic of China. For Taiwan's WHA bid, there is still a hard road ahead. But as Taiwan strives to contribute to the world, its determination to join the summit gets stronger by the day, bringing more hope year after year. A family restaurant in Yingling is celebrating more than 70 years of classic Taiwanese cuisine. The duck restaurant serves soups and duck rice the same way they were once sold on bamboo shoulder poles. Visitors to the nearby temple say a trip is wasted if you miss this hidden gem. Diners crowd both sides of this alley near Beigang Chaotian Temple. The open-air seating is pretty simple, but customers come in droves as if it were a Michelin restaurant. The duck rice and tripe soup are must-tries. Some people order one after another. If kids don't want to eat, they change their mind if it's food from us. The rice is steamed to succulent perfection in wooden steaming baskets. On top is drizzled a little duck fat, tender duck shavings, and an appetizing dash of sauce. Mix it all together before tucking in. The duck plate is full of juicy, plump, and flavorful cuts. The recipe is 70 years old. My grandpa used to sell this outside the opera theater on a shoulder pole. After my dad finished his military service, he would push a cart up and down the street selling it. This rich fare is not for the faint of heart, but the depth of flavor and tender textures have foodies coming back again and again. We continue the old recipe that my dad passed down. We're introducing old school Taiwanese flavors to the world. The eatery is not just a haven for locals, it's also a destination for visitors from far and wide who say a trip to visit Matsu at the temple is not complete without an affordable slice of Taiwanese cuisine. It's delicious. I've been eating here since I was a kid. The sauce smells and tastes amazing. This is the authentic taste of old Beigang, available to everyone without breaking the bank. If you make a trip to Yunling, Make sure to check out this family gem.